Yay, Leah. I'm so excited to have you on. So excited to be here with you, Dr. Nikki. Uh, I just want to tell you, I've been watching your videos and you have such sweet, vibrant, it's playful energy. It, you're so inviting and so vulnerable and authentic. It's just beautiful to watch you. I really do appreciate all the work you're doing and the guests you're interviewing are brilliant. Esther Perel. Reasons why. It's in just... my mind. <laughs> yeah, fantastic work you're doing. I really connect with their like playful, playful energy um, and, and like to have that as well. Yeah, you do. You definitely do. So we're going to discuss all sorts of things about relationships, how they're actually an opportunity to uncover some inner work that is needed. Yeah. And, you know, relationships can be the biggest source of our pleasure and they can also be the biggest source of pain. So we're going to tap into that and then we'll dabble towards the end on polyamory, as uh, a lot of people here in Austin do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, we're, it's, it's exciting because how we show up in relationships at home is also how we show up oftentimes in relationships at work and the same triggers can be seen in both both scenarios. So uh, important place to dive into. Yeah, there's this idea that goes, we project from our perception. So if we have certain experiences when we're growing up, whether it's with parents or in our family systems, then generally that's the lens through which we see the world, which includes our workplace as well. So that makes a ton of sense to me. There's also a lot of interesting research, like if you had a very authoritarian parent, so a parent who really like laid down the law, there wasn't a lot of room for negotiation or discussion or sharing feelings, it's just like this is how it is. Um, that you often can get very triggered by that if you have like a boss or a manager in the workplace who shares that style. So it's just so fascinating how our experiences growing up really shape our our relation our romantic relationships, but also the lens through which we see the world. Yeah, one hundred percent. I can speak from personal experience. Uh, my mom left my first father, my biological father, at two years old. I don't think I recall that one so well, but I do recall when she left the one at six years old, who I apparently cried for for two years. So there's a deep-rooted sense of abandonment in me, yeah. and it shows up with me not speaking my truth to men in relationships. Yeah. And more recently, I've discovered that I don't speak my truth to my team. In the Philippines, I have a team of production for my podcast, and I didn't speak my truth about how I didn't like the logo they came up with. And yeah. I went with it because I said, yeah, it's fine. And if you know me well enough, you'd know that if I'm excited about something, I'm like, oh, my God, I love it. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like this dramatic, exciting event. Yeah. And if you just get a, yeah, it's good, that means I don't like it. <laughs> and I expected my team to know that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like sometimes we need these experiences, though. Um, they're almost like a mirror to our inner world, or like the stories that we have. For example, if I say that I don't like the logo, I'm going to be abandoned. Um, so sometimes I feel like the win is having the experiences and them not going quite right. And then that being kind of the wake up call that changes everything thereafter. Yeah. It did. It hit me hard. I was like, whoa, oh, I got to start speaking my truth more in a way that's conveying what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny, too, because 
you know, I've been on this journey of trying to better understand myself and how we relate for, I would say, about 15 years. And I think you're often drawn to the the mentors who kind of match where you're at in the journey. And the the very first mentors that I were draw, that I was drawn to, you know, a lot of the quote unquote dating experts um, that do tend to be very, very much more about manipulating a situation, kind of like you were trying to manipulate with your team in the Philippines, trying to get them to uh, try, you know, trying to not rock the boat or ruffle feathers by not speaking your truth. That's a form of manipulation. Um, I think a lot of the people I was drawn to were more about manipulation than authenticity um, because it's, I think it's maybe easier to teach people to (laughs) manipulate others than to show up with authenticity encourage, but also like gentleness and empathy. So um, one of the people that I was really drawn to, um, you know, he had a lot of tips around, let's say, so at the time I was dating a guy and I very much identified as monogamous and was interested in exclusivity with them. And so this, you know, quote unquote dating expert said, if you're interested in exclusivity and you learn that the other person isn't, the best approach is kind of play it off, pretend like you're fine with that. You know, you'll move them down a peg on your priority list. And, and that's kind of what, you know, I I was very actually surprised because everything he was doing would have led me to believe that, uh, I mean, he couldn't be more interested in that. So I was like really caught off guard so I, I kind of took that approach, like, you know, I'll date other people and, you know, we'll see what happens um, rather, rather than being like vulnerable and authentic with him. Um, and it's interesting because um, I think, you know, he, he ended up ghosting eventually. And what I realized is like in that moment, I really ghosted myself because Ooh. I was more concerned about how he was going to respond to me than, you know, speaking my truth and and being authentic. And now um, it's funny because you had mentioned earlier, you were watching an interview I did with Tice Gibson, who's incredible. She's known for her work on attachment theory and um, subconscious reprogramming and emotional mastery. She's really excellent. Yeah, she's incredible. Um, And so she's really helped me to, um, to truly show up for myself versus trying to show up in a way that makes you look like you're saving face or kind of have the upper hand and a you know power dynamic of dating. So that's been a huge, a huge shift for me. Yeah, let's go there because she had some valuable nuggets on uh, if you, for example, if you do not honor yourself or um, you don't speak your truth, you'll be very much attracted to someone with a lot of confidence. And yes. but that can later on backfire this for the one thing that you're attracted to and initially then ends up shifting. Uh, I think Esther started talking about that as well, but uh, very interesting. Yeah, that's essentially shadow work. And she has a ton of content on that, 
um, concept. But she talks about how often when we're attracted to someone, it's one of the following reasons why. Number one, they match our subconscious comfort zone of what love is. So they remind us of a caregiver. Um, they have traits that we haven't yet developed in ourselves, And so being around them makes us feel whole. And that's kind of what you just described. It's called the golden shadow. So let's say we're someone who was told like, girls shouldn't be confident. We should be people pleasers. We should look good, you know, sit in the corner, not ruffle feathers. We might be deeply drawn to a, a super, someone who exudes confidence because when we're around them, it's like that repressed part of ourself. Um, and, and I think the quote that you just referenced from Esther is something like often we're drawn to a person or it's like um, the the traits that were initially so attractive become the source of conflict later, something yes. like that. And that's exactly. kind of the same idea. That was um, fascinating so, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm Esther Perel, Thais Gibson, it doesn't get better than those two. Yeah, they were both brilliant, brilliant episodes to watch. Uh, yeah, she, uh, Tice also said the need versus story. So a need can cause pain, but pain is a great indication of something you need to work on within yourself. Yeah. When it turns to suffering is the meaning that we put on the need not being met. So uh, the interpretation of me not being worthy yeah. when my need for love isn't met. Right. So for example, um, I mentioned to you earlier that I'm polyamorous and I identify as solo poly, which means that um, I live alone, um, prefer not to be married, uh, prefer not to have a family of my own. And someone else could tell a story about my situation. Wow, like Leia's 40. She's not married. She doesn't have kids. Like what a shame, you know, all of that, all of those scripts that we get from society. And that's just a story that they're creating based on their beliefs and cultural conditioning and experiences about me. Whereas for me, it's very much like, wow, like I'm so, I'm so lucky that I get to live alone and I get to, you know, choose to not have a family and invest my time and energy in other places. Yeah. The story we create is really the, the source of suffering is what she was saying. Right. It, yeah. was, it was really an important point of what is the meaning we're giving to things? hundred percent. So let's, uh, what are some other inner work examples of inner work that relationships can kind of bring out? I feel like our relationships are a mirror to ourselves and our stories and our inner world. Um, it's funny because, you know, I mentioned that I identify as polyamorous at this current stage in my life. Um, and it feels very much more, it doesn't feel like so much of a choice. Um, oftentimes when people start on their polyamory journey, I encourage them to think about their poly why, meaning why do they choose polyamory? And some people will say, well, I've been married for a decade and I have this great life that I've created with my wife. Um, you know, we have an amazing family, an amazing social circle, 
but there are certain things that I want to do sexually that she couldn't be less interested in. And so I choose polyamory as a way to explore that side of myself in a consensual way um, while still getting to have the life and life partner that I love. So for them, it might be more around um, sexual novelty and exploration. Whereas someone else might say, um, I have a much deeper emotional need for uh, emotional intimacy, connection, sharing my inner world, talking about my feelings than my partner. Um, you know, we've been married for 40 years. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to get a divorce. I love my partner, but I have this deeply unmet need. And so I'm choosing polyamory, not because I want to have a lot of sex because I like the sex with my partner and I'm fulfilled in that way, mm. but I want to, um, I want to have deeper emotional connections, um, in a way that wouldn't be considered like an emotional affair. So everyone has, uh, has a different poly why. And some people feel like they could be monogamous or polyamorous, depending on the situation. And other people feel almost like um, in the way that someone who's gay would be like, no, this isn't a choice. Like I knew this from, you know, age five and this is who I am. Some people who are polyamorous are more in that camp where it's an identity. And I... I actually feel like I could very much go either way. Um, I could be monogamous without a lot of like <laughs> trouble, um, but I do feel like it's much more of an identity than a choice for me. An identity in that it's more a reflection of my philosophy of like the, um, the autonomy and freedom of the individual within a relationship. Um, so that's kind of how I, I look at polyamory. I feel like we went on a little tangent, but we no, we didn't. What's your area. why? So that's your why is that you want the, the sense of freedom still? Um, so my poly why is um, number one, I think that you can bring a lot of beautiful energy from different relationships to your core relationship. So just like, um, just like a parent might have several children and them having three children versus one children doesn't necessarily take away the love from the initial first children. I feel that way about romantic relationships too. And it's interesting because it's very normalized in society with children, but it's very unnormalized with romantic relationships. So um, a great example is I had this incredible friendship with a guy. Um, it started out with us dating and um, I actually found him very attractive and was very drawn to him. But when we had sex, it was not a fit for me. And I think I had a deeper need for exploration sexually and kind of going deeper and he had a deeper need for just kind of staying safe and a little bit more like conventional and surface level so it wasn't a match but I adore this person he was one of the favorite people that I've ever met and um you know I know that he felt the same way about me and we had just the always like the most fun and the best times together so that would have been an example if he had been open to it where you have a beautiful connection and rather than having to let it go because it doesn't meet a hundred percent of your needs you're able to appreciate the needs 
that it meets and find other ways or people of getting other needs met. So number one, I think you can really bring beautiful energy from other relationships to a core relationship. So let's say I go out and play tennis with my tennis partner, Tom, and my romantic partner doesn't play tennis. Like I might come home and be on top of the world because I love tennis. And then I can bring that great tennis energy to our sex life that night. Um, And then when you um, are able to just appreciate someone's qualities without them without focusing on this one or two things that they don't meet related to your needs, it's a beautiful way to, I think, approach people and relationships. Um, so I, I would say those are maybe the, the two. And then a, an additional one is there are some really beautiful communication norms in polyamory that I'd say are maybe a little bit less common in monogamy. So for example, generally in polyamory, you don't start with an assumption of what we call a relationship escalator, which is we start dating. If we like each other enough, we become exclusive. Then we might try living together. Then we might talk about marriage and buying a home and having kids and merging finances and and all of that. Rather in polyamory, you might say like, what's your poly? Why? What are you looking to get out of your next connection romantically or sexually or both? And then you have a conversation and kind of develop a relationship and boundaries from there. Um, It's very common polyamory to talk about consent and talk through triggers when they come Mm. up and work through jealousy. So all of that, like the norms in polyamory, super drawn to as well. It's like a high level communication version of friends with benefits to me, but it seems like it's more. It's so funny because I've never understood friends with benefits. Um, (laughs) And I think it's because I have very clear boundaries in my life. Um, Never have once done the friends with benefits thing. So I see it. So I kind of see what you're saying in terms of um, what I might call like designer relationships where you where you don't make assumptions about what it is, but you get very specific about your your wants and your needs and your desires and your boundaries and then kind of create a plan from there. Um, I love it. You mentioned, I think, in one of the interviews that we used to get our needs met by a village and now we're trying to get them met by one person. Yeah, 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 totally. So that's that's what you're describing here, is right? 100%. That's like a very polyamorous philosophy that Esther that Esther throws into her first book. <laughs> it is a fascinating concept. I and mean, we don't turn to one friend. Like we have one friend that we go party with. We have one friend we turn for advice for. We have one friend for we have friends for different things in our lives. And yet we are relate our romantic partner, we expect them to kind of be all all of it. Yeah. And it's interesting because I would never say to you, wait, you have you have a couple friends. And then, and then allude to the fact that you're concerned that you having several other friends, maybe it's like a friend you like to go to yoga class with and a friend that you like to go to like certain music shows with, or a friend that's like really into entrepreneurship. So you get together and do like working coffee dates. Like I would, it would be so odd for me to feel like threatened by that, but so common in a romantic relationship that we would feel threatened by it. There's something though that does happen when you start having sex with someone that it becomes possessive. Sounds like a really harsh word, but um, 
there is something in the nervous system, I think in mine. I, I don't think I would be able to, my, I think my nervous system would have a nervous breakdown if no. I was really in love with this person. And they were, for the most part, let's say 90% everything I wanted, even, you know, for them to be, for them to have the desire to sleep with other people would, would be crushing. How is it not? So it's so interesting you said that because when you're, when you mentioned, oh my gosh, like that would be really hard for me. That's like exactly the type of experience that I'm drawn to have through polyamory. Cause it's like, oh wow. Like I'm, it's shining a light on something in me, an opportunity for introspection, possibly healing, possibly inner work. So it's almost like I, I like deeply invite those opportunities and look forward to them. Um, but that's not to say one is better than the other. It's also equally as fine to say like, wow, because there are things that like skiing is very scary to me. I choose not to ski and I don't feel like someone who skis is better than me for, for doing it. It's more just like, you know, this is your life and you get to decide what to invite in and what to not. And if you, and if that feels scary and uncomfortable and undesirable, great. Like it sounds like monogamy might be a better fit for you. If it sounds like an area that you're curious about that you want to, to, um, to investigate, then maybe polyamory is a, is a good fit. That's kind of how I see it. There's no better or worse or, you know, more evolved or less evolved. No, there's no judgment. I'm just curious because in theory, I think it's brilliant. Total freedom. Do as you wish. Uh, and you you honor each other through communication. You're honest with what your expectations are. A lot of it sounds beautiful. Yeah. But then in practice, in actual reality, if I call my man and he doesn't answer, my first thought is, oh, he's sleeping with someone else. My next thought is being like, all right, well, who am I going to sleep with? <laughs> like, and the revenge comes in. And like, just, it will get so ugly so quickly. <laughs> so here's, so here's, um, this is where I see like the beautiful opportunity is that I'm so drawn to in polyamory. So let's say you call a main partner of yours and they don't pick up. And let's say, you know, that they had a, a date um, that evening with someone else then you you feel the feelings and it feels really scary and they get home. And what's cool about polyamory, for example, is it gives you an opportunity to say, hey, partner, I noticed that when you go out on dates, my nervous system gets super activated. Can we have an aftercare plan that when you get home, you know, we sit on the couch, you rub my feet, you know, and we just connect with each other for a couple minutes and then before heading to bed, or maybe you're, um, I don't know, maybe it's like, and we do like eye gazing for five minutes, you know, whatever it is that helps you feel um, equilibrated and regulated. Um, but what's cool is then you can, you can bring to your partner, you can say, listen, you had this state tonight, and I was feeling excited for you. And then the fear started creeping in. And I had this story that I was telling myself that you're going to have a better time with this woman that you've been chatting with and that you're going to like the sex more and you're going to leave. And, and then you have a conversation about it. And then your healing 
you're healing the stories that you're telling about these situations. You're deepening your connection with your partner. Um, and the way I see it is like, if, if you're not able to show up and have those conversations, I know at least for me personally, it wouldn't be a, a connection I wouldn't want to invest in. So then it's a positive thing as well. Yeah, that all makes sense. I mean, it sounds brilliant. <laughs> um, wow. So, so it's working for you. And, and it's, oh, that, that's where I wanted to go. Um, so I think it was Esther that was talking about how uh, women get concerned that the men would fall in love with another woman, whereas the men get concerned that the woman would have a better physical experience with another man. You know, I think that might have been true 50, 100 years ago. I don't okay. think it's necessarily true now. I think we're in such a different um, social situation than we used to be in. I also think attachment theory. Um, so if someone's more anxiously attached, uh, <laughs> both the sex and the emotional connection can feel really frightening. Um, so I don't, I, I think that might've been true in, um, in a previous world because, you know, then you had, um, if a woman had sex, then she's, you know, we, we didn't have birth control, like she's raising the kid, then the issue of financial resources comes into play. But at the time, she wasn't working because she was stay at home. So I just think, I don't know if it still necessarily applies. Um, you know, in our community of 14,000 members, we've had um, our group for about five years, I've never noticed a pattern where um, men are more concerned about sex than emotions and women are more concerned about emotions than sex. Um, okay. Yeah. Have not noticed that. Okay. Good. <laughs> it, it's fascinating. I, yeah. find it, I find it a very interesting world. Yeah, I do too. So I know you are a co-creator of Relate Fest. Will you share a little bit about that festival? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm working on Relate Fest with um, two other relationship community organizers, Christina and Shy, and it's a two and a half day event in the Miami area. And we've designed it for people who are endlessly curious about relationships. And it's really meant to be inclusive for all um, relationship structures and orientations and identities. You can be in a couple, you don't have to be in a couple. It's just for people who love learning about and discussing relationships. And we have uh, an incredible lineup. If you go to relatefest.com, you can see uh, speakers and some of the topics we're covering from exploring pleasure to boundaries to navigating conflict and jealousy. We're going to be talking about polyamory, communicating needs and desires, tantra, kink, BDSM, um, rebuilding trust after betrayal or it's broken, uh, attachment theory, which is the super hot topic, healing from trauma. Uh, we're going to have amazing performances and a relationship open mic. And it's set at this beautiful resort um, where there's an on-site water park and a beautiful golf course and resort trails and pools. So it's going to be a mix of like 
learning from really interesting interactive workshops and presenters to connecting with others to just like fun and play. So um, if you go to relatefest.com, you'll get all the info and um, we would love for you to join us. Okay, good. We'll put that that in the show notes. And also, I believe Christina was offering a, a discount code to my audience. So that will be in the show notes. I wanted to end on a final discussion on communicating your needs well, because I can also speak to my previous relationship. I was with a very affluent man. And because he was in control of the finances and kept me kind of on a a short golden leash, (laughs) I wouldn't speak my truth. And I was so scared to rock the boat. So how how do you suggest or how do you recommend to people to really communicate their needs in a way that won't trigger the other person, but also, you know, it feels safe to communicate. Yeah, I think that obviously you have to know who you're speaking to and what their wounds are or their sensitivities are. But I think a good general rule is make it about you and not make it about what the other person did. So something like, hey, I'm noticing that um, I would it would be really meaningful for me if, or, Hey, I'm noticing that, um, you know, when we went out to dinner tonight, um, and you, uh, order dinner and drinks for both of us that in that moment, I was actually hoping to order for myself, not saying that that was the situation, but just an example where it's, it, it feels very like you talking about yourself versus like what the other person did to you. And then being very specific, like, Next time we go out, um, I would really like to, you know, choose what I eat and drink. This sounds like such a like abusive controlling example. I'm I'm realizing now, but you get the point. Yeah, Um, it's a perfect point. Yeah, it's it's true. I like that a lot. Instead of pointing the finger, just expressing my experience. I experienced this way, you know, and you give the the person the other a different perspective. Yeah, and. And if you can share your inner world even better, um, so um, let's say in that moment, it felt a little bit like um, the other, your partner wasn't um, taking your needs into consideration. So you could say, um, you know, you can always start with something positive, like the sandwich method, I call it. So like, hey, like, I had such a great time with you at dinner. I really love like that we were talking about our, you know, next trip together or the volunteer project we're going to do next weekend. So start off with something positive and say, hey, in the moment when the waiter came over, and you just took the initiative to order food and drinks for both of us, um, I realized in that moment, it would have been really meaningful if I could have had just ordered for myself. And I actually, I made, I made the fact that you ordered dinner for both of us mean that um, you, you care more about your enjoyment of the evening than mine, which I know isn't true, but that was the story I was telling myself. Hey, next time we go out to dinner, would it be be okay if, if you handle your food and drinks and I handle mine? So at the end, get very specific um, as opposed to saying like, hey, in the future, can we not do that? Like say like, hey, when we go out to dinner on Thursday next week, would it be okay? Um, so getting, right. making it personal, getting specific, not, um, not accusing the other person. 
uh, but just sharing your your inner experience. That's how I handle it. Uh, that takes mastery. I mean, to yeah. be able to call yourself out and say, I experienced this. This is the story I made up about it. Yeah, that that's a, a mastery of of your own inner world instead of the the more common is like the reaction hey you yeah did this. yeah and that, there, yeah there's this great I think it was originally from um John and Julie Gottman and then Esther Perel um started sharing it more broadly but it goes behind every criticism is a veiled wish why because it's a lot more vulnerable to share what you want and then someone has the opportunity not to give it to you, then to criticize them, you know, and share how they hurt you. So it almost comes down to like a vulnerability thing um, in that moment. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, you're sharing your feelings. Why is that so challenging? <laughs> it seems so easy, but it's something when it comes to it, it's not. Well, also, if we grew up in a family where it wasn't safe to have feelings and we've uh, spent our entire lives ignoring right. them and disconnecting from them, it can sometimes even be hard to know what we're feeling. And like if the only acceptable feeling in our family system was anger or getting upset or lashing out then there can be some inner work that has to happen to know that you're feeling the way that you are versus just angry, you know? Nice. Yeah. Agreed. Any final thoughts you want to share? Um, loved, um, loved our conversation and the different um, explorations we had. I hope anyone who's interested in community at this moment in time and a community to discuss relationships with, um, in a really safe, um, welcoming space joins us at Relate Fest. Um, if you have any questions, there's an email on the website. Um, I told Dr. Nikki in our, um, Esther Perel discussion group community, we do a lot of interviews. So if you're interested in interviews with, um, interesting relationship thought leaders, um, I shared the link to my YouTube channel where all those videos live and, um, feel free to join us in the group too. Um, and when you um, fill out the membership questions, just mention that you heard about it on this show and I'll get you added right away. Yes, I love it. Yes, and I get credit. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Leo, such a treat to have you on. Thank you for sharing all your sweetness and, and all your experiences. It's so fascinating. Thank you. This, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, Dr. Nikki. Have a great rest of your day, guys. Bye.